What up, this is Dart Adams, this is episode 82 of Dart Against Humanity. So, a lot has happened since the last episode I recorded exactly last week, because that's how I do these episodes, weekly. For those of you that haven't been around for a while, when this podcast first started, I would do an episode anytime I felt like it, and it was an episode every between three to five days. I didn't have a set schedule because I wanted to disrupt what everyone else was doing. Because again, I was working in a digital space, real-time social media, 24-hour news cycle, and I just wanted to get above the noise any way I could. And I didn't feel like I was established enough where I could go a weekly And then, of course, there was the whole issue with having to deal with, you know, uh, other distractions that might take uh, the audience away, which is another weird thing. You make art or content, which I, I hate that word, and you're concerned about what else is out there that could divide everybody's attention. Because you think that there isn't enough time for everybody to pay attention to multiple things at once. Or you just think that it's going to overshadow what you do because you're not as important as the big events. That being the case, I would do my podcast at first because the first season was 13 episodes. I did it every three to five days. Then after a while, I decided that I had to come up with something different. I wanted, I of course always knew I wanted to do my podcast like seasons. So I treated it like Netflix or any other um, network where they had seasons. One season, the opening season would be like the season where you just sold the you just sold it to the network and you might get nine episodes. Or you might get 13 episodes. You sell those 13 episodes if those 13 episodes do well. If you have enough time, they might give you what they call the back nine And so you get a full 22 episode season. I decided to do something different. I said the first season will be 13 episodes. I'll see how everything goes. I'll give myself a hiatus. Then I'll rethink things. And then the next season, I'll do 22 episodes, which is the next season I get my back nine. So that's what I did. My next season of Dart Against Humanity, I did 22 episodes. And then I thought, I was like, I need to put myself, treat this seriously because I talked to a whole bunch of people. Uh, and treat this like something real and um, give myself a schedule. So I gave myself a schedule and I decided to record the podcast on a Friday. So I recorded the podcast on a Friday and I made it so that it would get released after midnight. So it would be up by the morning. Then later on by season three, I realized... I looked at the numbers because I actually started paying attention because at first I wasn't going to pay attention. I was just going to do everything, whatever, and just pretend that I'm not actually doing an actual podcast and treat it like what it actually was. And the thing that changed everything for me was um, when they started adding sponsorships. So when they started adding sponsorships, then I had to seriously consider what I was doing because there was a monetary, there was compensation behind it. You know, I could gain monetarily 
from doing certain things. So that changed stuff. One, I'm finally going to go on a schedule. Release the podcast on Friday. Then I have to figure out the time, the best time to release the podcast. So I get peak listenership. Now, I guess I'm going to actually uh, pay attention to, you know, what the the dashboard says. In the dashboard, it tells you plays, top episodes, your listenership, geographic location, the listening platforms people listening on. You can click on the devices. Uh, it tells now it tells you your the gender of your listenership. Mine is ninety one percent male, nine percent female, and one percent non binary. Um, I have to say that clearly I've done something wrong if my if my listenership is. 90% male. By the time I do my next podcast, I'll figure out exactly what I'm where I'm fucking up at. Um now, age. I have no listeners under the age of 18. None. Uh 7% of my listenership is 18 to 22. 14% of my listenership is 23 to 27. 47% of my listenership is 28 to 34. 24% of my listenership is ages, are ages 35 to 44. And 8% of my listenership is between the age of 45 and 59. 60 plus, nobody. So I have no listeners under the age of 18 and no listeners 60 or older. Interesting. When I look at the geographic locations, like 84% of my listeners are in the U.S., 5% are in the U.K., 1% are in the Netherlands, Canada, France, and Germany. And then I have Denmark, Mexico, Switzerland, Australia, India, Sweden, Jamaica, United Arab Emirates, Austria, Japan. Uh, let's click on Japan. So 78% of my Japanese listeners are in Tokyo, 15% are in Okinawa. 3% are in Kanagawa, and 3% are in Saitama. That's it. 60% of the people who listen to me listen on an iPhone, 12% Android, 3% web, 3% Mac, and 23% other. Now, let's talk about this. I don't know what the other is, because when I first started on um, Anchor, they supported 13 different podcast distributors. Now it's 12. The other podcast distributor they supported, they dropped. And at one point, if you had your podcast on here, you could submit it directly to Deezer. Deezer no longer works that way. Matter of fact, I had been trying to sub submit this podcast to Deezer for uh, two years. And I was going back and forth with Deezer for the past 18 months trying to figure out why I couldn't add it. I added my podcast. They suspended it. And I was like, why is it suspended? I went back and forth with them for six months. Didn't talk to them for another six months. Hit them up last week. Like, why is my podcast suspended? This has been an issue going on a year. I sent them the old emails. Can you please uh, resolve this with me so I know exactly what to do? Deezer got back to me um, two days ago. And someone explained to me. The reason why we added your podcast and then suspended it and then suspended it was because 
we have a particular format for our podcast. We accept MP3 and this format or FLAC or this. Your email, I mean, your podcast comes out in and pretty much it's the same format is iTunes. And we don't accept that. And I'm like, that's my RSS feed. My RSS feed comes is this in the same format as what the I, what iTunes is or what um iTunes uh shit is. So that that I finally got an answer. So that being the case, what happened is when I looked at my demographics and I saw where I was being listened to and when and where people were listening to it. When I looked at the UK and looked at Europe and looked at where my listeners were, I was like, well, there's a time difference between us and Europe. If I did my podcast sooner, then rather than my podcast is just being up and ready to go for when um, people are doing their commute stateside, my podcast could be up and ready for listeners in Europe when they do their commute. So why don't I push back my podcast when I record it? On Friday night. And I did that. And my numbers went up. And my listenership went up. And when your listenership goes up and you record your podcast sooner and you get more listeners sooner and you get more listeners, what happens is you end up getting higher revenue. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, the whole first season I did Dart Against Humanity, I made zero money. I didn't even know that there was um, an opportunity to make any money. That came later when they're like, oh, you can be sponsored now. So I told people, hey, I could be sponsored. One person sponsored me for 99 cents a month. One person. And I was just like, well, I'm going to have to grind it out <laughs> the rest of the way. So I had to figure out what to do. So the first uh, ever sponsorship I got was from Anchor. And I mentioned this before. What happens was they hit you with CPMs. And then certain sponsors uh, only wanted to let you add them at mid-roll. So what that meant is that I would record half the podcast and then take a break. And then I would, I would go into a second segment. I didn't do that unless I was getting a mid-roll sponsorship. And I was not losing out on that money. And then there was a stretch where I would have two or three sponsorships running at the same time when my podcast was doing disgusting. It was doing crazy numbers. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, boy, I'm living the life. Now, when I did my first ever um, sponsorship, the CPM, which is the rate that you get paid per a thousand listens, was $10. And that was for Anchor. Then my next one was Flipboard, and my CPM jumped up to 15. Then there was a short one for this thing called Beach Too Sandy, Water Too Wet, this podcast. I don't even know if it still exists. 
and I did that one. But at the same time, I had this one for this podcast called Mike Line, which I don't even think still exists. I had these two podcasts simultaneously. And they were one and they were both 17, uh, 1750 CPM. And I was I had them one mid roll and one before. And then something happened where I got anchor voice messages. So I had I finessed it. So I had um, one at the beginning, one at the middle and one at the end. And then when one switched to mid roll, I did two at the mid roll and then one at the and then one at the um, one at the beginning. And they would calculate and the rates would jump and I would have money over the weekend. And I'd just be like, yeah, I'm into this. And then somewhere along the line, before the fourth season, it all came to a screeching halt. I had a um, sponsorship for Thinking Big with Maisie Williams. I believe. And the thing was that they would cut off your sponsorship sometimes. Like it would go for a month. Sometimes it would go for two months. Sometimes it would run for three months. And then sometimes they would last two weeks or ten days. Thinking Big with Maisie Williams, I think that one ran for like ten days. And it was over. Then I got one for Anchor that was 17.5. And I was like, yeah, cool. Because I'm thinking I'm waiting for like the next sponsorship to come along. Not one has come. I've had the same sponsorship from Anchor uh, for like maybe two straight seasons. I haven't got an email. I haven't got a text. I haven't got a call for another sponsorship ever again. I've been riding with the same sponsor for like a year plus now. And it's crazy. And then people will hit me up and be like, um, have you gotten another sponsorship? Because you're doing better than me. Have you gotten another sponsorship? You getting because at one time I I had multiple sponsorships. I had like three sponsorships running at one time. And no. I've I've been working with the same Anchor sponsorship forever. And Anchor is the site that runs everything. And Anchor um like was bought out or bought Spotify or something else and like you figure there'd be more sponsorships coming. Nah, nothing. So I had to rethink how I did everything. And I knew that from working on other people's going to uh, visiting other people's podcasts, I had been invited into other people's podcasts. I recorded for other people's podcasts and I'd been a guest on other people's platforms. And I would ask them about what their process was, how everything's going, what the market's like. You know, people are, are pitching and selling to this network and doing this and you need to be here. And how come you're not doing this? And then I started my other podcast and it had, vis- it had visuals and I'm shooting with people and I'm taking pictures and I'm going places and locations and shit. And I'm realizing that this podcast as it exists is going to run out its course. Again, this is episode 82. We're stopping at 100. We, we I have no team. It's me. I'm fucking I'm speaking into my iPhone XR and I'm sitting on my couch. 
I'll tell you right now, I was walking around before and I took off my, um, I have a pair of Adidas um, Ultra Boost lacelets that I've had since 2006. I've been trying to get a replacement pair for the last three months. They, Adidas hasn't made them. Adidas has been making ugly fucking sneakers since. Um, and I've been trying to get a replacement pair. I'm on two different places, hopefully trying to get somebody to give me some 12s. And I stopped wearing them walking around because I realized they were making noise while I was doing my podcast. So I'm sitting on my couch doing this. Well, again, every podcast er era, like I have, it's a new season. So 1 to 13, season 1. 14 to 35, season 2. Season three was episodes 36 through 60. Yep, level 44. That was the last episode of season three. Then season four was episodes 61 through 75. Where I ended with Okizeme and Abare, which are words, Japanese words used in the fighting game community, if anybody was wondering. And then I opened my final season with episode 76, which is quarantine day 49, which means we are currently in 56, 63, 70, 77, 84. Now, the thing about today, this week has been especially weird for me because... um, Someone I know recently passed away. And I would be super fucked up about it if not for the fact that my heart and my soul have been hardened by um, watching my mother deteriorate and then eventually die in um, summer 2016. Otherwise, I'd be really, I'd be a lot more um, messed up than I am over over her death. Uh, so, for those of you that don't know, her name, she was on uh, social media as Jazzfly, and her name was Jasmine Waters, and she was a, a writer. I hate using the fucking word was, because it's insane I'm using the word was, because she hadn't even turned 40 yet. Um... The thing is that we had a similar friend, peer group in the online media space in terms of writers and stuff like that. So I wrote for some of the same platforms that she wrote for, freelance for. Um, She worked in a lot of spaces where I had friends that worked. And she was in some spaces that contained more friends of mine. Uh, one of them being the Combat Jack Show slash PNC Radio in Brooklyn. Uh, she would go there. It's back when the Combat Jack Show was still a live program. Before it became like the podcast, it became and moved sites from PNC Radio. You had to listen to it live as it happened you could call in live. That's what I used to do. 
as it happened. Then they had a recorded podcast. So Loudspeakers Network, the first Loudspeakers Network show, when it started branching out, they had NY Delight, who was also like one of the, who was who was a who was like the the woman on the show, like the guest. And they had Jazz, who was around, and they had her around the um the set, whatever she would hang out. So they decided, wait, we need to get Jazz and NY Delight together and have them do a podcast. And in the podcast, they had a segment called um, An Awkward Moment with Just Blaze because there was always an awkward conversation with Just Blaze that would happen. They were like, let's just make it a segment. This is before the read. This is before um, the idiots with fucking uh, Charlemagne the God and, and that and that racist asshole um, Andrew Schultz. And it's hilarious that they gave them both the show. I remember being so pissed off at Reggie that he gave C to God and Charles Schultz of all people a fucking show. So people always ask like, "Yo, why didn't you like do a show with like um?" Because I was always invited. It's like, why don't you do a show? I was like, I had trepidation because I did not want to be on the same network as anything that had Cedar God and Andrew Schultz, who I have disdain and disdain for and hatred for collectively. But anyways, um, we had friends that would go from Boston to Brooklyn to shoot video for the Combat Jack show. And they used to hang out and they used to talk and they and come back and tell me about what happened at the show and the conversations they had and shit. And I would always call into the show. And so me and everybody who was on the Combat Jack show and uh, Jazz was also on another show called Jump Off TV. And I would comment on what was happening with them and go back and forth and argue with the people on there because me and me and Mr. Mech would go back and forth and me and Lo would go back and forth and then she would jump in and I'd go to her. So, but we had multiple crossover friends. So what ended up happening was like we would DM each other back and forth and like, the first big argument slash debate that me and Jazz had, because usually it was just, hey, so this and this and this, you know, keeping up and stuff like that. But the first real back back and forth we had, and I had them with other people, but we ended up beefing. And one of them was like um, B-Dot. Me and B-Dot's whole shit started from DM back and forth from me shutting him down all the time. But it wasn't really the case with Jazz. What happened was, it was a raging debate in 2010 about R&B. Two artists kind of abandoned us, I say, R&B for uh, Euro pop and EDM inspired um, pop music. That would be uh, Neo and Usher. Usher on his Oh My God. And Neo in 2010 on that album, I don't even remember the title of, but if you look at the cover, he looks like like he's doing a, a sci-fi movie where he's on a, a spaceship and he's the entertainment director. Like that type of thing. Like on some Valerian and the Thousand Planets type shit. Like, but that was Rihanna. You get it. But that was my take that 
the the whole space of R&B was in its predicament because when you have its two biggest proponents abandon it for Europop as opposed to continuing making traditional R&B and staying the course, whatever happens after that happens. Because even though, um, remember the Titans is a movie of washing lies and untruths. One of the, one of my favorite pieces of dialogue in it is attitude reflects leadership. And when they left R&B to its own devices, shit hit the fan. And they realized, oh, we fucked up. Will I am can do whatever the fuck he wants. He needed to make the money. They should have stuck to their guns and made R&B. You didn't see Raphael Sadiq fucking jump ship. If Raphael Sadiq didn't jump ship, if fucking if D'Angelo didn't jump ship, the fuck were y'all doing? Chasing the money. That being the case, me and Jazz went back and forth about this subject. Uh and DMs on Twitter, from Twitter to DMs. And then we would just talk about different stuff for here and there because, again, the Combat... And then the Combat Jack show changed over. The Loudspeaker Network kind of um, became a thing and blew up after the read took off. And then there was the Idiot Show again that happened. And then later Tax Stone occurs. And then, you know, they give a show to... um. At the time, her name was Ricky Martinez. And then she, she changed her name to Letty because that's her real name. Or whatever. And so the Loudspeakers Network became a thing. LSN. And she got on a TV show called The Gossip Game. Because VH1, again, was picking up all these different shows. They had, you know, Love and and Hip Hop, which wasn't about hip hop or love. Um, They had The Gossip Game. Then they gave a, a TV show to Hot 97, which was crazy. Because they overestimated how much people outside of that New York market gave a fuck about the beef between Hot 97 and Power 105. We don't care. We don't care. And they figured out soon enough, no one gave a fuck. So then they did the the Gossip Game TV show. Uh, The ratings weren't great. And I believe like the the last episode of the show came on at like 2 a.m. or something stupid. But the thing is that Jazz was on TV and everybody saw her. Everyone saw how she handled situations, how um, adult she was, how professional she was, even in the face of ratchet shit. And she said a quote that resonated. Beef doesn't come with a check. And that was a very adult, responsible, professional statement to make. And the way she made it, she fucking meant it. Now, for those of you that actually know me from social media and my writing, um, the way I approach social media has changed a lot. And it had a lot to do with a particular friend group. That friend group includes uh, Combat Jack himself, uh, 
Just Blaze, Carly Hustle, and Jazz. Jazz told me that one of my main issues was that although I'm right and I know so much, I am killing my message by going it well-known and well-loved people in the same space slash culture. She says she starts saying space because I explained to her that it's not the culture. I am of the culture of hip hop. I'm not of the culture of the mainstream media. That's not a culture. That's a business. I'm of the culture. That's why I fight so hard for the culture in the face of the business that people call the culture. And that drives me even more insane. So she's like, all right, I get that. But she was telling me that I am sabotaging my own career left and right. And there's different ways I can go about things. And this is also something that Jess Blaze told me. This is also something that I've been told by Combat Jack. Um, this is also something I was told by Carly Hustle. She says that I feel that you're very misunderstood because people uh, respond to your what they think is your anger. And I've met you. You're not angry. But you are extremely passionate about, I'm like, I'm very passionate about it because this is my culture. This, I've lived it. I've written before that one of the things that people don't understand is that in business, it's not supposed to be personal. It's business. However, when you work in a business that's built around the culture that you've been immersed in, for 95% of your life, it's extremely personal to you because you want to make sure that it's represented right, flaws and all. Because that's what makes something real or human, I'm using air quotes. And Jazz was like, I know that you're brilliant. I know that you know all these things. I know that you're frustrated by the people in the space that are in a place that you're not because they've played the game and you refuse to. However, in order for you to win and I want you to win, you have to think about changing the way you do things. Or at least compromising in some form or fashion. Now... Back then, and this is another thing, I'm 44, I turned 45 August 17th. Back then, when we had these conversations, this is like 10 years ago, I'm 34 going on 35. I'm very uh, Rorschach, no compromising ever. And she was just like, you are absolutely infuriating, but I understand how you feel, I understand your stance. Because at some point, the world will conform to you. And I, of course, brought up uh, people like Bob Marley. Bob Marley didn't conform to the space. The space conformed to him. Bruce Lee didn't conform to the space. He tried to get in different ways. And then finally, he went off, did his own thing, and the world came to him. It's like, that's what I want to do. And if I'm going to have to be Roxbury, Lower Roxbury all day... And I have to do this shit for 15 straight years before people get it. And the door finally falls off the hinges. I'm afraid I'm prepared to do that. And Jazz wrote. 
she wrote at one point not too long ago after um, making the trip to L.A. to be a writer, which was her dream. Um, don't worry. The world will come around to you. And not so many words. That's not the exact quote. I actually screenshot it. And I damn near cried when I saw it. If I had a fucking heart, I would have. But again, I've been through so much shit and had my heart torn out and reformed and put back in my chest in another form or fashion over the last uh, four to five years that this is just what it is. And this is how I cope with things. I either write it or I do things like this. So um, Jazz, of course, she, she was talking about how she had worked on different shows like ER and things of that nature. And that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to get back into that form of storytelling, writing, as opposed to be, like writing like hip hop or like writing about reviewing a fucking rap show or something like that. She had more to offer than that. And she always had the right words. She was always talking about words of affirmation and and visualizing your goal. And she kept trying to get me to read this book, um, The Alchemist by uh, Paulo Coelho. I was adamant I was not going to read The Fucking Alchemist. I'm like, I don't need to read this fucking self-help book. Like, I don't need it. I understand why you're, why you're, why, why you say, hey, this could be great for you, but I don't, that's not really my thing. I'm a self-cleaning oven. The only, I said, the only alchemist I fuck with used to be down with soul assassins. Although I do understand why you would, you know, recommend the book to people because I tuned in for, this is back in the days of Ustream. She did a Ustream book club back in 2011 and she was talking about why this is one of her favorite books and why she loves it. So again, I'm somebody that even when I'm committed to doing what I want to do, I'm going to hear you out when you explain why you're passionate about something. There are music styles and artists I hate, but I will read the fuck out of somebody explaining why they love it. Because that's my thing. I'll watch a documentary about something I don't give a fuck about. Because I'm learning. This is the kind of person, again, I don't sleep. So this is the type of thing I do. So I'm watching and she's explaining the book and what it means and the symbolism behind it. I'm like, oh shit, that sounds kind of dope. I don't read it. I'm thinking about finally reading The Fucking Alchemist. And what it took was for her to pass. Now... What you have to realize is that she leaves, she'd been in New York from Chicago, gone through all this shit, um, gone through all these ups and downs in New York, made it, whatever that means. And when someone's in your space and they're a genuine person and they do it and they succeed and they're not like in the fuck boy, fuck girl um, group that got on through uh, nepotism and glad handing people and not being um, qualified for the job but someone passed them through you celebrate when they succeed and you're proud of them so when she did all these different things 
in New York, and it was like, hey, I'm making the move to LA, and I'm finally going, and I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to finally achieve my dream. And we're worried because, you know, New York is an animal. LA is a different beast. But this was her dream. This is what she wanted. And she started thriving immediately. She started doing things immediately. Um, there was Hood Adjacent that she had popping off. The Breaks. She's writing for The Breaks. I'm like, yo, that's dope. Because I'm seeing, like, yo, this is something I've dreamed about. So I'm almost like, yo, I'll see you. I'll see you, you know what I'm saying, out there, you know, doing shit, writing. She hit me up about her nephew was going coming to Berkeley. And I was telling her all the different things that he could do here. All the stuff he wanted to do because uh, he wanted to get into um, film uh, scoring and shit like that. And I was like, I know a lot of people, uh, resources. Just She gave me his information. I said, I'll hit him up and I'll talk to him. I'll be whatever he needs, any resources he needs. All he got to do is hit me. I'll show him around town, whatever I have to do. Um, And, you know, she... Ended up working on a show that became a breakout hit, This Is Us. And I'm like, yo, like, she's doing it. She moves on from This Is Us to working on uh, a show with Jim Carrey. Kidding, I believe it's called. And then she worked on a film with Men Want. It's like, she got the story credit on IMDb. And she's just, like, out here on, like, social media talking about, like, how life is in L.A. and all this other stuff. And then, like, you know, some bullshit happens with her uh, Twitter, with her um, Instagram account. And she comes clean about this person trying to um, fucking extort her and all this other shit. And we're like, yo, that's some real shit. But she always persevered. In the face of everything, even though she dealt with her own traumas, her own internal shit, you know, her anxieties, what have you. She was very open about this shit. But she was like, if I need time to heal, I'm not going to feel sorry about it. I'm going to take that time for myself. I'm going to do what I need to get back in the right frame of mind and do what I need to do. So, again, Jazz was very transparent, very open and very uh, real with any of her um, shit because she felt like she was lying to people that were in the same space about what you go through when you're here. And this harkens back to one of the things that bothered me the most about being in the the space of uh, entertainment, rap, media, and the... Early to mid zeros from the beginning of the blog era into 2008, 2009, 2010, when old Twitter was popping off. This is before Instagram, mind you. This is in the days of TwitPic. This is in the days of Ustream. People would just flat out lie about their situations. Back then, it was like a digital gold rush. The mainstream media space was full of VCs. Um, It was full of record labels, just co-opting blogs, blogs being bought out by Uproxx and the complex uh, 
Media Group. I believe that's what it was called. Maybe it's called something different. Um, and just different corporations and businesses like that. Like they were just buying up smaller blogs or like blogs with a following. You know, you had the Nah Rights before like Nah Right was like, why? Why? Why do this? You know, and during that time, people wanted to start their own blog and become influencers. This is the beginning of the takeover of influencer slash gatekeeper culture in the space of creators and creatives. This is when YouTube was popping. This is before Vine really took off. So what happened is a lot of people who were journalists or bloggers or who are on YouTube kind of lied about how well they were doing because they gave off this idea of uh, they were doing better than they were, making more money than they were and thriving. When the truth of the matter was, I was on the inside and I knew that a lot of these people who were all over Twitter posting these pictures were lying. They were making shit money. They were going to all these events because they gave them free food and free booze and they went to as many events as possible. And they didn't shake the tree because they want to make sure they got invited to as many events as possible so they can actually eat. Um, they were crashing on couches. They were going through it emotionally and they were begging people for money in their DMs for years. And this only got worse in 2011 when Instagram became available for people with iPhones. I lived this shit. I saw it happen. I then kind of started behind the scenes uh, helping people get out of the fucking game or get out of bad situations because they had been lied to, they'd been hoodwinked, they'd been led astray, they'd been run amok, and they'd entered this space that completely fucked with their psyches and fucked with their minds and left them in a bad state. Jazz was not going to be one of those fucking people. So she told you when shit was not right or when she had to handle a situation or when things just were overwhelming for her because everybody goes through this and it's not something that you need to lie about. and It's not something you need to put on a fucking brave face about and front because there are people who follow you thinking, oh shit, it's great over there. And you get there and it's completely fucked up. I equated to, I had a class again at Harvard um, I've mentioned it before, my favorite class ever taught by the late Dennis Giotis, Hitler's Wars, Hitler the First Demagogue. In there, we would take the we would watch these films at Harvard Hall. One of the films we watched blew our minds. It was Russian soldiers in the winter, naked and in their underwear, jumping in the snow. Playing in the snow, rustling in the snow with their fellow soldiers, making snow angels. Like, this winter ain't shit. Because it was supposed to be one of the worst winters on record. And they were assuring their families at home that they were fine. Not two weeks later, 
the Russian army starts sending letters to all of their families saying, please spare winter coats for the soldiers. They are freezing. They are cold. Some of them are getting hypothermia. Some have died. But that fucking propaganda film they put up there made it seem like everything was all good. And this is what a lot of people were doing and putting a whole lot of other people in the space of media in harm's way. Jazz was not going to be that person. She was going to talk frankly to you about the the hurdles and the challenges of being in this space, being a creative, uh, writing, what it means to have to uh, put in this kind of time, uh, be in these rooms, the dedication it takes, and what you have to do to steal yourself to do this job. And it's not for everybody. And I tell people that. One of the things I've always done is I've said, I did this, 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 this. Don't try this at home. You don't do this. The average person tries this, they'll go insane. I am not a fucking Superman. I am just wired differently. Okay? I wrote on Twitter that I had been dipped into the river sticks of trauma from a young age. So I can handle a lot of the shit I go through. And how I deal with it is I write or I do this. And I'm good. I'm using air quotes. There's going to be some residual effect. But for the most part, I'm going to be able to run through the brick wall. Everybody can't. And it's fucking okay. Everybody's process is different. Respect their process. This is what I do. So the train doesn't stop running. Okay? If any of you have watched uh, uh, or seen the movie Snowpiercer or watched the the show Snowpiercer, which is great. um, Basically, it's about a train that just runs and runs and runs and runs. And they find ways to keep that motherfucker running no matter what. I'm going, I'm like that train. There's something wrong. I'll fix it. That shit's going to be mended. It's going to be fixed. I'm going to keep going. Nothing's going to stop me. Everybody isn't the same. And that's perfectly fucking fine. Because you're human. I'm human. I'm just fucking wired differently. That's not a great thing. Because sometimes I wish I were not like I am. The last episode I did, a friendly game of Korean baseball, was basically talk. It was a, it was alluding to the song by main source of Friendly Game of Baseball, which is about police brutality, and it's also about me being up at all hours of the night and day watching Korean baseball as I create and write because I don't have the crutch of real time sports anymore. So I keep moving. I keep moving. I keep moving. What happens when one of those people who you looked at as an example, as an inspiration, is no longer here? 
I would look to Jazz and I'd be like, yo, Jazz is out there doing it. All the shit that she talked about doing, all the things that she visualized, she made happen. And she's built for this. I would go on Twitter and I would see her finding ways to cope with her anxiety under quarantine. I saw a tweet that she wrote that said uh, something to the effect of if she was on a slave ship or something, she would have jumped off before it reached America. And I saw that and I was like, fuck. But that was months ago. But she kept tweeting. She kept cooking and doing all these other things. And I was like, oh, good. Because that's her way of coping with this anxiety. Then I didn't see anything for a while. (sighs) Then I got fucking worried. Again, when you are in this space and you're running with all these people and you have your your peer group or your uh your contemporaries, you look around at everybody at different checkpoints to make sure they're all right, they're still in it, they're okay. People DMing you, hitting you up. Yo, you good, you good, you all right, you all right, you good, fam, this and this. And if you see somebody tweeting, if you see somebody on um, live or something, you're like, okay, they're okay. Or they found a way to cope. Or they found a way to deal with it. Or we're all going to hang in there. We're all going to be good. And then I saw her talk, like she loved D-Nice. And she was like, yo, D-Nice is a fucking the DJ hero to the whole world. You know, and he just was saying for me, I'm like, yeah, girl, I feel you. And now I'm talking about her in the fucking past tense. That's another number in my phone that I'm never going to get a fucking text from. I'm never going to hear from. I'm never going to get a DM from. I'm never going to see and be like, yo, she's doing what I'd like to do one day. And she would, she took time out of her fucking time that she didn't, she didn't, she, she didn't have to do to like tell me what I could be doing because she wanted to see me win. She didn't have to do that. She didn't have to give a fuck at all. And now here I am on this fucking podcast. And she's not still here. But again, I'm wired so that I'll be able to continue on and keep going for her not being here and so many other people that didn't make it. So all I can do is try to make sure that in her memory and several other of our contemporaries and our peers' memories that I continue to do things that would make her proud. And she would DM me about or text me about or tweet at me about or call me about.
one.